in a council because the amount of money involved and the amount of people involved, you have to have process. But the flip side to that is that the very point of councils is that they are very close to people's lives. And so you are talking about families with children who are not able to go to school, children that are in in real turmoil about their learning or families with children with severe disabilities. And you are asking them to fill out form after form after form to wait, to to leave voicemail messages that then don't get returned. The tragedy is that there will be kids that they've been through the system now and it's failed them. I'm Neil Maggs and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. Last week we had the Tory challenger for Bristol Mayor and this week we have a Labour Party stalwart councillor and cabinet member for Women and Children's Services, Helen Godwin. Helen recently lost the Labour election to be a candidate to be the West of England Metro Mayor but still wields massive power, or rather relative power anyway. We'll be chatting to her about youth services and how they can be more effective, the crisis in special education needs and whether women are just better leaders. So your area is Southmead. Yep. Lots of people think of North Bristol as being really posh and kind of affluent. Yeah. But I've heard Southmead referred to as kind of like the heart cliff of North Bristol. Would that be a sort of fair description? So there are definitely similarities. Obviously, it's a bigger state. We're both from Bristol, so we both remember the reputation that it had in the 80s in particular and the early 90s. Yeah. You know, that there's a lot of heroin at that time. And there was, you know, a lot of real difficulty for a lot of people there. And there's still, there's still, you know, a hangover from that in some ways. But then there's also a lot of changes there. And there are a lot of people moving in, obviously, the hospital, the airbus. One of the reasons why I said about Hartcliffe is, it's not necessarily because of the the reputation of, of the area, partly that. But if you go and talk to people from Hartcliffe, they're really very mindful of how other people see them in the city. And people from Southmead, there was a real strong sense of how they perceived negatively in the city by the local residents. Yeah, you know, when we were kids, it was like Bedmees and Meaders, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That leaves a sort of residue in, in the minds of people. And I think they definitely are sort of hyper aware of that. But you know, I've got to tell you, like, the residents there, and especially the women, they are utterly amazing. Like, they organise, they get stuff done, they get investment, they get people coming to see them. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. And, and a lot of it is kind of women-led, I've got to say. Yeah, that sort of community matriarch kind of yeah. culture, yeah? You know, they don't sort of mince their words. But, you know, if they like you and, and you have a giggle with them, then it's the best place to be. Like I was saying before, like, I, you know, I've got true friends up there that are people that have had, you know, totally different life from me and are living a very different life now. But do you live, are you, are you based close by? Yeah, I'm about a mile there. away. Yeah. The interesting thing and probably the difference, I think, from some of the safe Bristol estates, I always think it's a bit like Mumbai, that you've got affluent areas like two mm. minutes down the road mm. and then you've got like an area, you know, I'm doing speech marks, you know, area of deprivation mm. or, or, or account to the state. It's a it's a real choppy, changey kind of place. It's, it is quite odd in that sense, isn't it? It's really odd. There's a couple of things on that. Like one, there's this awful statistic that 
life expectancy between Enlees and Westbury on Trim, which is the next door ward, it basically drops by 15 years. What, the next next door to each other? Yeah, yeah. so right, life expectancy right, yeah. in Henley's are maybe slightly out, but it's about 85 yeah. and it's about 70 in Southmead. So the idea that, you know, you're you're literally crossing Baydock's Wood mm-hmm. <laughs> and your life expectancy falls is, is pretty shocking. And then the other thing I think is about the geography of Bristol. I thought about this a lot because I lived in London and every London borough has social housing. So you can be in the middle of Chelsea. There's always social housing, which is quite visible. But in Bristol, the geography of it is such that you can very easily live in bits of Bristol and never see a council estate. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's true. You go down Southmead Road, you don't know what's on the other side of that road where the hospital is. You go into South Bristol, you don't need to see Hartcliffe. You know, you don't need to see Noel West, don't need to see Lawrence Western. Yeah. Let's talk about the Metro Mayor election oh, uh, yeah. in the Labour Party. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the election for for the role that most people don't even know exists uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in the real world. We could have got the, the winner of the uh, Labour Metro Mayor internal election in, yeah. uh, Dan Norris. But we didn't because I connect with the underdog, the loser. <laughs> The defeated. Yeah. Commiserations. How did you feel? Were you gutted or, or, or not? Uh, yeah, I was. I I knew how I would feel before and I knew that I would feel like a bit ego bruised and a bit dented and a bit smarting from it. And I knew that that would last for about two weeks. And I kind of prepared myself for that. Like, it's you know, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? No one wants to lose something. And, you know, I was I was a bit sad, but... Like genuinely, I'm totally over it now. Like a couple of times, I've been doing the school run, and people that I haven't seen for a while are like, "Oh, are you all right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Totally <laughs> and then I'm like, "Why are they asking me that?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, because I lost." Were you surprised that you lost? Did you expect to win? Because you had the backing, didn't you, of all the kind of big dogs in yeah. Bristol, Asher, Marvin? They were all behind you. It was clear who the favoured candidate was in in Bristol by the with the mayoral yeah. team. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it. You never know. Like the Labour Party is a funny thing, right? You just, you don't know. You can't ever predict it. And there was, you know, I knew that a lot of people weren't voting. So a lot of people on the left of the party just didn't vote. Um, And, you know, that was a shame because it meant that we didn't, I didn't get to kind of talk to them about, you know, what I wanted to do and stuff. I suppose one disappointing thing is that if we look at the kind of lineup as it is, it's two white men in sort of late middle age that used to be MPs. And I think I'm sad. Male, stale and pale. Is that what someone said on Twitter? That's the phrase. But I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the main thing is clearly that we get a Labour Metro Mayor because then we start to get things done that we want to that we want to do. And whether you're a Labour man or a Labour woman, you've you've got the same values. But I do think, you know, Bristol and the the wider West of England region, you know, we could be more progressive. I, I was really up for talking about some things around like the care economy, talking about, you know, municipal childcare, like, you know, really sort of shaking up a bit because you're right, most people don't know what the Metro Mayor is. And the Metro Mayors have got a lot of power and a lot of money and the government is going to give them more. OK, what power have they got to the un- uninitiated? And if I'm honest, I'll probably include myself in that. What, what, yeah. what power? Transport. I know transport and that's about it, I think. What do they? What, what kind of power do they have? So the first thing to say is different areas have different powers. So Manchester, Andy Burnham has got way more power than Tim Bowles has got. And obviously Sadiq Khan in London has got a huge, huge job as well. But our deal, the Metro Mayor's got power over transport, as you say, economic development, budget for adult education and skills. 
and also some powers around planning. So not actually planning approval and stuff, but just thinking about, you know, which sites are allocated for housing and stuff like that. So it's big stuff. And and there's this sort of phrase around infrastructure. So when you think about infrastructure, most people, if they think about it at all, think about like transport. But we wanted to start talking about like childcare as infrastructure. Because, for example, for your wife, say, to be able to go to work, and if you're working full time, you know, you need childcare to make that happen. So that's part of the infrastructure of the economy. Is it been really, is is the relationship between the Metro Mayor and the Bristol Mayor important? Yeah. And yeah. do they have a good relationship? Tim and Marvin. Yeah. Um, I don't know really. I mean, I think they're. I think it's all all right. I mean, I, d- I don't know. I've only... I mean, obviously they're, they're going to be politically opposed. You know? I mean, I think obviously the North Somerset stuff lately is, is you know that being done in in the open. I don't think has has gone down that well. Yeah. Uh, what is the thing? What why what is the objection for North Somerset coming in, Wecker? That is the West of England Combined Authority. It consists of the local authorities of Bristol. South Gloucestershire and Bath and North East Somerset, but not North Somerset. But North Somerset now want to join. South Gloucestershire and Bath and North East Somerset say great. Bristol, however, say no. Because obviously that's something that the Bristol Mayor, Marvin Reese is objecting to. Why is that? Well, his view on it, which I share, is that nobody's offering more money for another authority to come in. So you're asking to, instead of dividing the pie by three, you're asking to divide the pie by four. So it's not a political move, you know, Labour vote is relatively poor in North Somerset to enable you strategically to be more ready to win the Metro Mayor race? No, no, no. It's about the fact that if you're saying to the people of Bristol, we're going to have another member of WECA, but that means that the amount of money we spend in Bristol is going to be reduced. When Bristol is the economic centre, we can't deny that, right? People come into Bristol to work from those other areas. Marvin just felt and rightly so, that you couldn't make that offer. But the idea of the the political thing, I mean, you can flip that over, can't you? Because why would the Tories be so desperate for them to join? It's the same, it's the same answer. That's more votes for them. <laughs> so, Well, yeah, well, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, no, fundamentally, there's no deal on the table. Just purely an economic, economic yeah. decision yeah, based yeah, on yeah, how much yeah, money. Yeah. You know, we're going into these really difficult times, aren't we? And Bristol needs investment and our transport, our traffic is horrendous. And all of that needs investment, you know, and investment mm-hmm. from the combined authority kicks on to other investment. So I didn't realise how close it was last time round. myself. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you got hammered. Not not, not your one. Um, the, uh, no, the 2,000 votes, yeah, between the Tories and Labour. Metro Mayor last time round. Yeah, really, really close. So if, if Dan Norris does win, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having seen sort of every single Twitter account of <laughs> of all the Bristol politicians backing you and not him, do you think he might um, make life difficult for for the Bristol mayor or do you think he'll just kind of get on board the Labour Party kind of thing? No, I don't think, no, I don't think okay. there's anything like that. They're really different yeah. jobs, you know, because sure. yeah. there's a kind of civic element to what Marvin does that, you know, if something happens in Bristol, you know, he fronts it up as the sort of leader of the city. Yeah. And the Metro mayor doesn't really have that sort of civic element to it you know you're bringing together the other three authorities to spend money essentially so it's a it's a very is a different profile quick question actually before mm. we move to are you are you with the sort of change in leadership in the labor party is that better for you than sort of starmer over Colt corbyn where your um, politics or yeah you know? i mean i'm not a massive 
you know, it's really, I'll tell you what's really interesting. When I wasn't a councillor, when I wasn't a politician, and I was a Labour activist. So I used to live in Tooting, which was Sadiq Khan's MP seat when he was an MP. Yeah. So I, I sort of was involved with, you know, I knew him and I worked for him and stuff. And I was much more involved in the kind of the cult of leadership and, you know, who mm. are the MPs and all of that. And then since I've been a councillor, genuinely, you're so focused on what you're doing. And I'm so focused on Southmead and, you know, the cabinet stuff I do that you you create this like weird distance from from the kind of the gossip element of it. Yeah. So it doesn't really, you know, I voted... Did I vote for Keir Starmer? Yeah, I voted for Keir Starmer. You know, I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, I've knocked on doors in Southmead and had people tell me they, they were not voting Labour despite voting Labour all their life because of Corbyn. Like, that definitely yeah. happened. But then equally, sure. people said, I'm not voting Labour because you didn't support Brexit. So, yeah. you know... Obviously, counter to that in Bristol, we've just had Bristol North, I think, and Bristol West, the Labour membership meetings, that they're all kicking off about the fact that this whole situation about suspending Jeremy Corbyn nationally. It's a difficult situation for Labour at the moment because it's how do you keep your kind of membership happy, mm-hmm. a lot of which are a bit more radical, a bit younger. They've kind of jumped on the kind of Corbyn enthusiasm kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, how do you become respectable and trusted again in some of those more working class communities? It's a really difficult square to circle to square or whatever the word is. Yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's, it's tough, yeah. isn't it? It really is. And I think, um, I think one of the things is that it's about how much do you talk about yourself versus how much do you talk to other people yeah and I do think you know most of the headlines that the Labour Party's got in the last year or so is probably about internal stuff and that just can't be right you know we've done some really good campaigning stuff but that's getting lost in our sort of internal battles yeah I just don't see how that's good for anyone really and and we get lost in that in Bristol a bit I don't know. It's hard. It's it's really hard because you also you value those members. Like when I campaigned in 2017 in Bristol Northwest when Darren first got elected, that campaign machine in terms of the number of activists that were going out and the totally the passion yeah. they had and the enthusiasm yeah. boots on the ground. Yeah, big biggest membership in the whole of Europe. I, yeah. I think that you you got in particular where I am, Bristol West. I mean, you know, I know yeah. she's not the most popular. MP Fangham with with some of the people that are more further left but without those people she would nowhere near have had that majority that's it and you know those people brought something really magical to that that election you know and it was emotional and it was big and but we didn't win it ultimately you know that didn't work in places that that you know were traditional Labour places it didn't work the pendulum sometimes swings too far the other way, doesn't it, before it finds yeah. where it needs to be. So maybe we're in that stage. Yeah. Let's talk policy and let's talk Bristol and let's talk about your remit. You just said yourself, children's services. Two yeah. things I want to talk about. Firstly, I want to talk about youth clubs and then I want to talk about SEND. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. And there's been lots of complaints actually on social media about my singing. People are apparently fast forwarding through this bit, which I'm a bit um, perturbed by. This is the advert bit when I say give some money to the Bristol Cable, blah, 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 blah. I'm getting bored of it now, to be honest. Um, but it is Christmas, so maybe you could give a Christmas gift to somebody by um, paying their membership of the cable. Yeah? Cool. Youth yeah. clubs, first of all. 
Yeah. That's your kind of remit, uh, well, mm-hmm. youth in general. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I appreciate this is not on your watch, but we have had something like 20 youth clubs disappear in the last five to 10 years, some of which has gone out to tender to community asset transfer and has been taken over by some third sector youth organisations, but there's not many. Yeah. You know, there are areas in the city now that do not have a youth club that traditionally did. Yeah. I was around at the time when those decisions were made, working in that field. There was this hub model, the station, mm-hmm. that all young people were going to kind of frequent to. And there was going to be another one built in the east. And it was this sense of, we don't need buildings. We can work with young people. Um, looking back on that now, with the increase in things like knife crime, antisocial behaviour, you know, we've had incidents across the city. Was that a mistake in hindsight? Um, well... I don't think it was an ideological decision. I think it was probably a funding decision. So was it a mistake? Yes, if you've got all the money there is. But if if you were talking about, you know, you had to cut the budget somehow and how were you going to do it, then then that's that's a different question, I think. I guess the, the money on that to push back, I guess, yeah. is the... It's the social economic cost of oh. not having them, and what and the, yeah. you know it probably far over outweighs that. Yeah, I mean, look, we you know I I looked at some numbers yesterday on street homelessness, right, which is a slight diversion, but I'm sticking with the point. Yeah, it basically shot up in 2012, right? So that's two mm. years in, isn't it, to to the Tory government? Suddenly, yeah. you got people rough sleeping again, having sort of almost eliminated rough sleeping. Yeah what austerity means to me is kind of you go into permanent crisis management yeah you're never you're never spending any money on prevention you're never spending any money on early intervention with families and with young people and you're just then picking up the problem at the end and that problem might be in probation service it might be in the prison service it might be in criminal you know wherever it is it might be in the benefit system you you know you're just pushing it further down the road and I think the last 10 years have have just proved that yeah because this isn't obviously just about bristol there have been 600 youth centers closed in the uk since 2010 yeah and so, so where, i mean if you've gotten the places where young people can't go i mean it's not rocket science is it that there's going to yeah. be a, a a kickback to that exactly and and so when i like when i got this job when marvin asked me to join his cabinet we were halfway through the consultation for targeted youth services and so I sort of came in blind, basically. But what I picked up really quickly and what I still pick up now is the scars of Bristol Youth Links, which was the forerunner, wasn't it? That was the first iteration of, of Bristol kind of outsourcing its youth services to another organisation. And then yeah. targeted youth services, which is what we've got now, is the kind of second version of that. And targeted youth services came off the back of us coming in and finding a £30 million gap in the funding and and all the rest of it. So there were things in targeted youth services, which what with what I know now, I I couldn't have signed off. So, you know, changing the age range from eight to 11, you know, within three or four months on the job, I knew that that was not that was not good because we we had a gap. You know, we had the children's centres, which is a massive thing that we've still got children's centres like that is not to be sniffed at because a lot no, I think my my concern at, at the time the decommissioning youth services in the city to third sector organisations and the whole point of doing that was that they would be 
organizations that were already established in those communities that had workers that had that relationship and that just didn't happen brand new organizations that never worked in communities mm-hmm. got got the contract yeah you know people lost jobs that worked in those communities for 30 40 years yeah. bringing in brand new staff that don't know anybody it was just completely the opposite of what it was supposed to be they went with organizations that because it was easier for the council to contract manage mm-hmm. and i gotta be honest you then go and do exactly the same thing again Mm-hmm. And th- this was under when Marvin was mayor. Yeah, yeah. Eight million pound is given to Creative Youth Network to subcontract to some organisations, but keep the rest. So, if you've got an organisation that subcontract, why don't you just commission it directly? I don't understand. Yeah, and so that's the that's the conversations that I'm having now, really, because now we're starting to think about what comes after targeted youth services. And I've said this in meetings with the youth sector, and and I hope it it comes across as it's meant but we that the, the way that the Bristol youth sector has responded in the time that I've been in this job so it's coming up to four years now to the interventions we've had to make around gangs around serious youth violence um, and also to, to to really difficult situations in communities like we've got a really strong relationship now with, as you say, those individual organisations and sometimes actually individuals that uh-huh. understand the kids, understand the streets that the kids are living in, understand who someone's cousin is and why that kid is then having this situation because, you know, their cousin might have gone to prison and, and they're having a, yeah. you know, all of that stuff, like that really kind of forensic understanding of communities, yeah. families, places. I feel like we've managed to hold on to that but the only reason for that is because we've got such bloody brilliant youth sector, to be honest. I'm just going to change tack now. We're uh, issue around SEND. That stands for Special Educational Needs and Disabilities. And legally, a child needing a SEND plan should be issued one within 20 weeks. But Bristol City Council failed to do this in 2019. Figures indicated that the deadline was missed in 98% of cases. And the council blamed a lack of resources and staffing issues, but campaigners and parents branded it a crisis. In the subsequent Ofsted and Care Quality Commission report, it concluded the service was slow and fragmented. Bristol City Council are currently working on an action plan and moving forward on recommendations. That That's part of your remit? Uh, sort of, yeah. So we've got so in most local authorities, you'd have uh, one person responsible for education and children's services. But mm-hmm. in Bristol, Anna Keane has got responsibility for education. But my responsibility for children's service is, is the kind of legal responsibility, if you like. So we kind of work together on send and and yeah. issues. Yeah. Would Would it be fair to say it's been one of Bristol's biggest failures? Yeah, I, yeah, it would be. I think. Um, I think it's. I'll qualify that if I can. It's it's something that is embedded for a long time, and I think it it kind of has come to a head in the last year, eighteen months, and it's come to a head both because of parent sort of action, and also we had a an inspection which gave us um, a written statement of action, which is sort of like a you know quite a serious. Um, yeah, it's a high court case, wasn't it? Uh, well, no, that's that's separate. So there's so we had the 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 inspection, which is sort of from Ofsted, which is Ofsted, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was also a judicial review, um, yeah. which was separate. So you, yeah, so you've basically got you know that's the sort of parent action side, I suppose. 
for, so in that in that court case, just so, so people don't know, the council were forced to restore was it four or five million pounds to its send budget? Yeah, so it was it was basically that that um yeah, it had been sort of mooted that there could be savings in that budget, but the savings yeah. weren't detailed, so the budget went through and, and then the court ruling was that Yeah. We should have consulted on those savings. Why did it take so much pressure from parents for that action to take place? Why were you not listening before? I think it's a I think there are sort of several things. It's like a perfect storm really. I think when Anna came in quite quickly she grasped what was going on and started to take action on it. I think we didn't have the stability in the department. So we had a very long standing director of education that retired and then we had like a couple of shorter term people came in who didn't sort of get underneath it. And the whole time the pressure was building and building and building on the system. Yeah. So you just ended up basically with these poor families waiting for so long to have their children assessed. And that's supposed to happen within 20 weeks. And it was it was taking way, way longer than that. Um, yeah. And so, you, you know, you've just got this pressure building on the system and the system wasn't rigorous enough. The system wasn't set up in the right way. And so the yeah. whole thing, you know, it, it got to a point where it just it was no longer effective because the system was was outdone by the number of the number of children that needed assessing. And then we didn't have enough educational psychologists who have to do the signing off of all of that. The problem is in a council, right, is that because of the size of a council, because of the amount of money involved and the amount of people involved, you have to have process. Sure. But but the flip side to that is that the very point of councils is that they are very close to people's lives. And so you are talking about families with children who are not able to go to school children that are in in real turmoil about their learning or families with children with severe disabilities who are really you know suffering from almost like a shock and a trauma of that and and you are asking them to fill out form after form after form to wait to to leave voicemail messages that then don't get returned all of those things it's kind of stress upon stress isn't it the the stress they would have anyway you know being a parent in that situation exactly and then you've got some parents that you know have the resources to get a private assessment and you know can can fill in the forms and all the rest of it and then you've got other parents who don't have the time to to do all of that or you know have got other kids and so you know they're trying to manage your life with a child who's got additional needs and then also do 25 pages of forms and stuff and then if it's under resourced as well the whole yeah. thing implodes and it's it... and presumably somebody like yourself as a, a mother of three children you, you you're you know you're somebody that's going to want to make this a success and want to kind of right the wrongs that that have yeah, taken place of we do. yeah I mean I do Anna does Marvin does, like we all do you know we all want this to be right and you know a lot of money's been put put back into the system it's definitely turning around um yeah. of course it won't happen overnight it just can't you know it, it it just can't and there are families that that still don't have their a school place for their kids or, or still are waiting for their assessments but I and Anna I think we now feel that we are you know that, that there is there is some there is control in that system again and that we turn the corner but but our families won't feel that and the tragedy of that is that there will be kids that are going through the system that will never you know they, they've been through the system now and it's and it's failed them and yeah. the next set of people will be different families different different kids so you can't make it right for those children because they've been 190 children 
with special needs, this was in late August, couldn't return to specialist school because of the council, um, there weren't enough places available. Yeah, so I can't I can't talk about that, Neil, because I don't, that definitely was a kind of Anna that fell into Anna's remit. So I don't have the yeah. detail to kind of... So she has education, doesn't she? she kind of, it yeah. sort of overlaps between, between yeah. both of you. So I guess the overall kind of point is that you're, you're kind of owning the issue and confident uh, oh, and hopeful to move yeah. forward, yeah? Yeah, we both, well, we all, you know, I hope no one would think we've shied away from it because we absolutely yeah. haven't, you know, it's 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 something that is um yeah we've all put a lot of a lot of time and thought into and you know we wish it hadn't have happened but we feel like we're turning it around great okay final thing uh, you touched on it a little bit women in politics the response to coronavirus mm. all the female leaders in mm. different countries it's kind of i think they, they were all coping better with the number of cases the, the number of deaths and so people were trying to sort of put two and two together on this massive generalization i know but having more women in politics or more women in leadership why does it make a difference if it does oh man yeah i, d- I totally think it makes a difference you know 50 percent of the population is women so that's your starting point isn't it like you you can't have a system that represents people if, if it's not representative. Yeah. That's the reason we need much more diversity in all areas. But but I, I tweeted last night, actually, if I watched Angela Merkel's video. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, no. Oh, man, you got to watch it. I mean, she is obviously got this reputation as like a steely leader, but she gave an impassioned plea. I, I think it's about language and it's this sort of sense of talking about families at the heart of it. So she talks about, you know, I know that you all want to go and have more wine and waffles and, and all that, but you can't stand in the street doing that. You need to take it home and you want to hug your granny and your, your grandpa and all of that. And it just takes it down to a very human level. Whereas I think what we've had is like, I mean, cavalry's coming over the hill and um, <laughs> the war on the virus. And- yeah, yeah. Masculine language, isn't it? The war on COVID, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, that doesn't do it for most people. And, I, you know, I don't think it does it for women. You know, like everyone talks about, obviously, Jacinda Ardern in, in New Zealand, and, and she's the kind of standout. But there was a quote from the female prime minister of St. Martin's in the Caribbean. Like, this is like in the first lockdown. She was just like, listen, whatever you've got in your cupboard, that's what you're having for tea tonight. You don't need to go and get anything else. Just if you don't like baked beans, just eat baked beans. You know, it's very maternal kind of what's happening. We're in a bad situation. Let's let's pull together. It is ironic though, isn't it? That the one political party that sort of talks the most about and has the most diversity representation has never had a female leader, Labour Party. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was one of the things that came out of the, the Metro Mayor stuff. And, and it's really difficult, isn't it? You know, I'm not looking for reasons other than, you know, it take full responsibility. It's, you know, I put myself forward. I didn't get it. That's it. Yeah. But, it, you know, that is it has made me think about it. And actually, when I've had conversations with, you know, a couple of women MPs have phoned me and, you know, what to talk about it. And they're very sure there is a there is an issue with Labour not not choosing women. And, and I'm not talking about in my case necessarily, but just overall, you know, we have all women shortlists. And, you know, we've got amazing women um, in Parliament, but the vast, vast majority of those women will have been selected on all women shortlists. Yeah. Why is that? Is that because of maybe the traditions of the trade union movement being predominantly male or? I don't know. 
no, I mean, I'm, I was sort of a bit shocked by it, really, because I mm. I just didn't factor that in, you know. I just didn't really think no. about gender. No, nor, nor, nor me, really, no. So it's more something that other people have said, but I do think, yeah, there is that old trade union you know, type. It's quite a male world, isn't it? Yeah. I, I suppose. I, think, I don't know. Yeah. I think the mayoral position in particular, I think, is a very male idea because you're basically saying, more so than becoming an MP, actually, because of the nature of parliament. Yeah. But with the mayor, you're basically saying, I am the individual that can do this. You know, this is all about me doing this. Yeah. If Marvin wins in May or loses, Four years on. Yeah. Would you consider standing, would you put yourself forward to be Bristol mayor candidate at some point in your political future? Do you rule uh, it out? Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I definitely wouldn't rule it out, but I'm not I'm not zeroing in on that as that's what I want to do. But, I, mean, I meant beyond, yeah, beyond. Yeah, mate, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying you're waiting in the wings now, so I'm yeah, behind yeah, the curtain, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, I think, God, it would be really good for Bristol to... Yeah. We, we do that sort of thing you know we shake things up a bit i'd like to yeah. think that bristol would be the sort of place that 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 would you have to cope with an awful lot of um you know as marvin's obviously realized in time and certainly george did as well you have to cope with a lot of um uh shit being thrown at you i can't think of a better way to say it really um yeah you know you have to have quite robust um shoulders not not that you yeah. you, you haven't obviously no. but that's something that i think probably there are some able people that would have considered the role amongst all different political parties that probably look at that and go, eh, don't fancy that. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, you know, the, the, my husband, the idea of me putting myself forward for that, I think it just fills him with absolute fear of, you know, just that level of level yeah. of abuse and, and, you know, what you have to put up with. I think that the idea that Bristol's budget is say like a billion pounds a year or whatever, all in the idea that you would, you would go into a business worth that much and turn it around entirely in four years with a staff of like, I don't know, 4,000 people. No one would expect you to do that. Mm-hmm. Yet we, we expect politicians to come in, be in for five minutes and like turn everything around. That's it. Right. Thank you ever so much, Helen. I've really enjoyed that. Hopefully yeah. you have. Was it as painful as you anticipated? No, I, do. I was looking forward to it. I was, yeah, no, I'm pleased we did it. It's a good, it's like having a nice chat. It's a shame we haven't got a pint, that's all. Yeah, right. yeah, I know. I did have a cup of tea. That was about it. Uh, <laughs> as as it cool. And uh, thank you ever so much and uh, take care. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Take care. Sat next to the Christmas tree. Reflecting on that chat with Helen Godwin. Friendly, good-natured, robust in places, particularly around SEND and closure of youth clubs. But I thought she didn't evade any questions, didn't do that kind of politician's thing. She was pretty direct and pretty honest. and kind of worked with the questions, took responsibility for some of the failures, which I think was quite refreshing, actually. And I think Helen is probably a rising star in... Bristol Labour Party and we'll probably hear a lot more from her in the future that's it from Bristol Unpacked this week and we're going to be off for two weeks because it's Christmas so yeah we'll be back in January 2021 let's hope 2021 is a bit better than 2020 but we will continue with this groundbreaking leading show Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Mags, 
And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.